Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Our Father and King, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your word heard and received, your voice that we, uh, that we hear, Lord, and that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, this opportunity to gather together, to set aside our daily lives, our ordinary work week, and everything else going on around us, to focus on you and worshiping you as a community in one heart and one accord. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... Amen and Amen. So this week we're in Parsha Baha'u'llah from Numbers 8, uh, verse 1 through 12, 16. Um, this is a very curious Parsha. Uh, as I look through the Torah in general, I'm always amazed at how often we see things repeat themselves. You know, generally speaking, we should be able to learn our lessons the first time around. And I loosely remember being a kid and that I never really figured that one out then either. Uh, But it's interesting as we look at Israel that as they wander through the wilderness, uh, that over and over and over again, they tend to have to repeat the same lessons over and over again because they don't quite get it the first time, sometimes the second or third time. Sometimes they just never really do. Um, But nonetheless, this is one of those parshot where we see this uh, this idea come around where we have to learn the lesson over and over again. Um, in particular, I want to focus on one specific uh, concept, one specific string of thought in the Parsha. If you open up to Numbers chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Numbers chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. It says, Then Miriam and Aaron, which are uh, Aaron's the high priest, Miriam uh, is one of the prophetesses of Israel. They're both siblings of Moses. Uh, as a matter of fact, Miriam very directly interacted with the providence and provision of the Lord as she watched as a young person when her mother placed Moses in a basket in the river and she watched and oversaw it to make sure that it was the, the baby was taken care of and she was the one that witnessed the daughter of Pharaoh take the child in and she was the one that ran up and said, hey, it's clearly a Hebrew kid. If you want a Hebrew to nurse the child for you, I know the perfect person. And said, my, you know, my mom will take it. It turns out it's his mom too. And we see all of this stuff going down. So she sees the direct hand of God and provision and providence and sees how God operates and works in good and faithfulness toward those that he loves. And so it's interesting to see that Miriam of all people and Aaron of all people are the, uh, the two people involved in this specific crisis and issue in Israel. But in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses on account of the Cushite woman he married, because he had married a Cushite woman. They asked, Has Adonai spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Adonai heard it. It's interesting the way this is worded here in the the TLV. It says, hasn't Adonai spoken through us as well? In other translations, you may see, hasn't, uh, is uh, Moses the only one that Adonai has spoken to? Or uh, hasn't the Lord also spoken to us? Uh, As we look at the text, though, it's more direct. Hasn't Adonai also spoken through us? And it's interesting to see this attitude of almost, and I don't know that jealousy is the right word, but this attitude of jealousy 
of what the Lord has and will continue to do through Moses, that Miriam, and at least to some degree Aaron, because Aaron's right there uh, and involved in the conversation, we see later that Aaron gets uh, uh, punishment for it or is punished for it as well. The Lord kind of rebukes him over the situation as well. But as we look at this, we see that they kind of become jealous. Well, what is it that's so special about Moses? Why is it that that Moses gets all this special treatment? Why is it Moses is in charge? Why is it Moses is the, you know, the Marsha, Marsha, Marta? Marsha, right? Uh, the Brady Bunch. Why is it Moshe, Moshe Moses is the one that, that is, uh, is so important here? Hasn't the Lord also spoken to us and through us? And it says right at the end of that verse there, verse 2, Adonai heard it. Verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. I like Moses. It's Moses wrote this. I want you to hold on to how humble Moses is, that Moses wrote Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. Just want that to sink in for a moment, kind of like John writing the, 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 the disciple the Lord loved most. Um, you know, it's great humility, great lessons there. Uh, but no, it says, now, now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. We know that God inspired, the Spirit of God inspired the words uh, of the Bible. And so you've got to imagine Moses sitting there getting ready to pen this, going, you know, Lord, I don't feel comfortable writing. Can I hire somebody else to write? Just this one sentence. Can somebody else take it? Because I don't feel comfortable saying this. Um, but it, it's humorous. Verse 4, immediately Adonai said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, the three of you come out to the tent of meeting. So the three came out. Adonai descended in a column of clouds, stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and called to Aaron and Miriam. The two of them stepped forward. Verse 6, hear now my words, he said. When there is a prophet of Adonai, I reveal myself in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. In all my house, he is faithful. I speak with him face to face, plainly and not in riddles. He even looks at the form of Adonai. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Could you imagine getting that call to the principal's office? Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. Moses wasn't even involved. I think he's just being brought there just to witness what's going on. Moses wasn't even involved. Moses actually had his hands clean in this situation. But uh, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron come here now. Um, you know, the, when my kids are doing something wrong and I say, Natanel, Eliana, come here. And they come in and they've got that look on their face. Like they know they're in trouble. They're waiting to see how bad things are going to be, but they know they're in trouble. I imagine that Aaron and, and Miriam's face was a little more so than that as they walked into the tent of meetings and the presence of the Lord just poof, right there in front of everybody. And it says that the presence of the Lord descended in a column of cloud at the entrance of the tent of meetings, which makes me think that odds are the camps saw the presence of God come into the situation, saw the Lord step in to deal with it. Now, they may not have heard what Moses or what Miriam and Aaron said about Moses. Uh, that may have been something in private, but they saw that the Lord was moving and doing something and, and something important was about to go on. But he says here in verse 6, when there is a prophet of Adonai, I reveal myself in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. In all my house, he is faithful. I speak with him face to face. In the Hebrew, it's pe al pe, which literally means mouth to mouth. 
and I don't think like resuscitation, but in a, you know, a very close manner, which is why it's often translated face to face. He speaks to him in a very close manner. He speaks to him intimately. He speaks to him as a man speaks to a man. If I'm talking to Sean in person, you know, if I'm, otherwise I send him a text like I do everybody else, but if I'm talking to Sean in person, we're going to be standing there talking and, and he's going to have to make sure I'm paying attention to the conversation because I'm ADD and I'll move off. But, but I'm going to talk to him close, you know, intimately in person, face to face. And this is what the Lord says about Moses. I speak to him intimately. I speak to him face to face. I speak to him mouth to mouth. It's not like I do to the prophets of Israel that I give them dreams and visions like we see with Daniel and Ezra and, and, uh, and we see with Isaiah and Jeremiah and so on. He says, I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to a man. And then he goes on and says, not only that, but he even looks at the form of Adonai, not just the cloud, not just the fire of his presence, but he stood in the cleft of the rock and saw the presence of God walk by. He may not have been able to see the face of the Lord, as the Parsha tells us, but he saw the presence of the Lord walk by. He got to see the visible image of the invisible God, which we know to be pre-incarnate Yeshua. He got to see the visible image of the invisible God walk before him, right? This wasn't just some ordinary person. This wasn't just some Joe Schmo that got to, to, to trip into the scenario. The Lord specifically selected Moses for a distinct purpose and calling and to have a distinct and intimate relationship with him and to be able to relay the words of Adonai to the people of Israel. And he says to, to Miriam and Aaron, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Who makes you think you have the chutzpah enough the gall enough, the guts enough to stand here and to make accusation and claims against Moses. What makes you think you're so special that you get to do this? Do you not know that he is my anointed? We read about David and Saul, how David so regularly talked himself out of killing Saul because he was God's anointed. And although he had went off the path and walked away from the will of God, he still recognized God's anointing on him. And he wasn't willing to take away from God what was God's right place to deal with. And we see that idea over and over again. This is God's anointed. And Miriam and Aaron had no right and no place to complain against him and to speak against him. As it goes on, uh, we read through the Parsha or through this section, we realize that uh, the Lord says, all right, now, you know, I'm going to have to deal with you both, uh, you know, kind of the, the smack on the back of the head for being stupid. So uh, he can't per se, and a lot of people look at this and go, well, why is it that Miriam got punished so bad and Aaron didn't? Well, because Aaron was a high priest, right? Aaron wouldn't be able to do what he had to do in his function and role in Israel if he had gotten Zarat also, if he had gotten leprosy as well. And so Aaron had to watch his sister that he loved suffer, right? I mean, this is, it may not be as bad physically, but it's, it's pretty bad. He had to watch this occur. And so she ends up with Zarat. And as soon as it happens, what is it Moses does? Because the Lord says just right before this, right? Says in, in verse seven, not so with my servant Moses in all my house, he is faithful. We recognize the faithfulness of Moses and the way he responds to what the Lord does or what Israel does in the midst of everything happening. So as soon as Miriam is hit with Zariah, hit with leprosy, what does he do? He falls on his face in intercession before the Lord for Immediately, no hesitation whatsoever begins to intercede on behalf of her. And so the Lord does in fact heal her. Uh, verse 13 says, Moses cried to Adonai saying, O God, heal her now. 
Verse 14, Adonai said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be in shame for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back in. So Miriam was restricted to outside the camp for seven days. The people did not move until Miriam was brought back. Afterward, the people left Hazarot and encamped in the wilderness of Paran. So the nation of Israel stood still for seven days while Miriam was outside the camp until she was able to be declared clean to come back in and to be where the presence of the Lord was. But as we look at this, we recognize that there's this, this note of, of jealousy, of uh, uh, wishing that they could be like Moses, of wishing that they had something more than what the, God, what the God of all creation had already anointed them to be. Each of them had a very specific role. Each of them were very vitally important. As Israel came out of Egypt, we recognize the vital importance of Miriam by the fact that the scripture talks about the song and the dance that she led the nation of Israel in, in the midst of all of this, or particularly the women of Israel, and all of this coming out of Egypt, we recognize the role of Aaron in the fact that he was the high priest, he was the one that got to intercede on behalf of Israel in the form of sacrifice and service in the tabernacle. This was a very important role and one that he was specifically anointed for and consecrated for, and yet they both wished they could have something more. They both wanted to be more than what God had, had called them and ordained them to be. And this brings to mind, as I said earlier, we see these issues repeat themselves over and over again. We go back just uh, one chapter to Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. This is in the midst of this Parsha still. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. This is the, the narrative of the 70 elders receiving a portion of the mantle, the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit, that was on Moses upon them. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people Adonai's word. He gathered 70 of the elders of the people of Israel and had them stand around the tent. Adonai descended in the cloud and spoke with him. He took some of the rock, some of the spirit that was on him and placed it on each of the 70 elders. It so happened that when the rock first rested on them, they prophesied. Uh, but never again, and depending on how that's translated, it can also be, but they never ceased either way. Um, but either way, they prophesied as soon as the Spirit fell upon them. And we see that Eldad and Medad were two of these elders that for some reason didn't make it to the tabernacle, to the tent of meetings where this occurred. They were still in the camps. The Spirit of God still fell on them as it did the other elders uh, of Israel. And as the Spirit fell on them, they began to prophesy also. But they were in the midst of the people, and the people weren't used to it. They weren't expecting it. They weren't ready for it. And the people became scared. And so in verse 29... I'm sorry, verse 28, Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses since his youth, cried out and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them, because the people were scared. He says, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous on my behalf? If only Adonai would make all the people prophets. If only Adonai would put the spirit on all of them. See, Joshua was going to be the leader of Israel. We see at the end of Deuteronomy that the same mantle, the spirit that a portion of was placed on the 70 elders at the end of Deuteronomy, the full mantle is taken off of Moses and placed on Joshua for Joshua to lead Israel in the way that Moses led Israel as they go into the promised land. But Joshua was at least to some degree a little jealous. He was also afraid for the nation because they were terrified of what they were seeing. See, there's this, this situation that arises with Israel. When God moves, they become terrified. Right? The, the voice of the Lord on Mount Sinai, they become terrified. The presence of God, the fire of God falls on the tabernacle. They, come to, they become terrified over and over and over again. We see this reality, this idea. But yet again, here's this idea of somebody, a servant of the Lord, who had a very distinct and intentional purpose and calling and anointing in the nation of Israel. is kind of wishing that he could have something somebody else had that he didn't quite have yet. He would have something greater if he was just patient and waited. But alas, here he wanted something more. And uh, I, I think it's important 
important that as we look at this portion, we see the way that the, the, uh, the Miriam and Aaron are dealing with Moses, the way that Joshua is dealing with uh, the 70 elders and so on, that we recognize that to some degree, we walk in those same shoes. To some degree, we act the same way. To some degree, we do the same thing. And what's really interesting here is that the Lord never says, listen, Mary, Miriam and Moses, I don't want to, or Miriam and Aaron, I don't want to use you. I want to use Moses. You don't matter. He says, no, no, you're still important. I still use you. You're still vital. I just don't use you in the same way. I just don't do the same thing through you that I do through him. I do something different through you. That doesn't mean it's less. That doesn't mean it's greater. That doesn't mean it's not important. But what it does mean is it's something different that I'm doing through you than what I do through him. Something unique for you that I'm doing through you that I don't do through him and vice versa. But what's really interesting here is the way the Lord says he speaks to Moses. He says, I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to a man. I speak to him not in, in riddles and questions and so on, but plainly so it's easy to understand. Why are you not afraid to speak against him? Why are you not afraid to speak against my servant? And see, it's, it's important that we understand that in the same way that Moses and uh, uh, that the Lord speaks through Moses and that Aaron and Miriam wish that he would use them and speak through him is the same way that the Lord actually, in fact, wants to use you and speak through you and speak to you. See, when he talks about, I speak with him face to face as a man speaks to a man, we go back one chapter and Moses says, listen, I wish that all would prophesy. I wish that all would be filled with the Spirit of God, would fill the Spirit of God placed on him. That wasn't just him saying, this is something I wish would happen, but it's never going to happen, so we might as well move on with our lives. It was him speaking prophetically of what would inevitably happen in the future. And we recognize that with Messiah's sacrifice, his resurrection, ascension into heaven, that the comfort of the Ruach HaKodesh does in fact come. And in Acts 2, it is poured out. And in fact, the same mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh, the same mantle of the Holy Spirit that was upon Moses, that was upon the prophets throughout Scripture, upon David, upon Yeshua, is now upon the body of Messiah. And the Lord says it will be even greater than the, the spirit that he operated in. It's the same spirit, but it will operate even greater in us. Yeshua says, when the comforter comes, you'll be able to do even greater things than he did. We've got nothing to be jealous of because we don't get to do what Yeshua did. You know what? I don't know about you, but I'm really glad I don't have to be hung on a cross. I'm really excited about that reality. Right out the gate, my life and ministry is way easier than his was. No doubt about it. But the Lord still wants to use me. And he says, I want to use you even greater than I used Yeshua. Because the spirit that empowered him is going to empower you. But not only is that spirit going to empower you, but Yeshua himself is going to be within you. So when Moses says, I wish that all would prophesy, I wish that all would experience the spirit of God, guess what? We get to. Because it was always God's intention. As we said in the Ruach Encounter study last year. Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, go to the website, listen to the podcast, go to the iTunes, whatever, listen to the podcast from all 10 weeks of that study, a Ruach Encounter. It's very important for us to understand that that wasn't just something that he was doing for Israel at that point with the 70 elders. It wasn't just something he was doing for Moses and Miriam and Aaron. It was something that he was using using them as an example for that would occur in the future. It was something that he had always desired for Israel. It was something that he had always desired for all of his creation since the very foundations of creation itself. Because the Ruach HaKodesh is the presence of God. It is the Shekhinah, the divine glory of Adonai, and he wanted his glory, uh, us to be in the midst of his glory. That's why he created us and placed us in the, in the, the Garden of Eden in the first place. 
And everything that happened from us being expelled from the garden all the way through to the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh and all the way through today is to prepare us for what the Lord wants to do and to show us examples of how he wants to use us and speak to us and through us to those around us. See, it's interesting that Miriam says, does the Lord not speak to us or through us as well? Is it he only speaks through Moses? Does he not speak through us as well? No, he does. As a matter of fact, he speaks to Moses face to face and through Moses to Israel. But guess what? He wants to speak to you in the same way. Not just face to face though. Because now it's not just waiting for his presence to walk by as we're hidden in the cleft of the rock. No, now his presence is within us. His presence is a part of who we are. His spirit resides within our hearts and our spirits so that we don't just hear the distant voice of the Lord, but that the voice of the Lord resonates within us. And it's not our place to wish we could have the anointing or the calling of somebody else because in the same sense that they've been given the Spirit of God, as Joel talked earlier about the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians uh, 13, the same, 12 and 13, the same as he has given us the, the, uh, a unique calling and gifting, he's also given us the same exact Spirit to empower us in that gift and calling. No matter how it is he operates through us, individually it may be slightly different than the next person, but it's for the same exact purpose which is the purpose of his kingdom. It may look different for me than it does for Sean or than it does for Joel or than it does for John. It may look a little different. It may come out in a different format, a different function, a different role in the body of Messiah and even in our own congregations, but it's just as vitally important. And we don't have the right, no more than Miriam and Aaron had the right to complain and grumble against the anointed of the Lord. In John chapter 10 Verse uh, 1, it begins with, Amen, amen, I tell you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and robber. But he who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep hear his voice. Yeshua is our shepherd. And in the same sense that Moses got to hear the voice of the Lord face to face as a man speaks to a man, you and I need to hear the voice of the Lord, the voice of our shepherd. We need to be prepared to recognize it, to grasp it, and to willingly follow it when it's spoken. And when those moments of jealousy like Miriam and Aaron arise, recognize that that's not the voice of the shepherd. That's the voice of a thief trying to rob us of the glory that God wants to show us trying to rob us of the work that the Lord wants to do through us and in us, trying to rob us of our place in the kingdom of God, trying to rob us in the anointing that the Lord has already placed upon us. And he continues on in that passage to talk about hearing the voice of the shepherd. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired worker is not the shepherd, and the sheep are not his own. He sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. Then the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep. The man is only a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. Those also I must lead and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. And he tells us, listen, I will set everything aside. I will set the 99 aside to go find the one. There's one flock. There's one body. There's one kingdom. One shepherd over those sheep. 
And although each of us may play a different role and a different function, there's one spirit that leads us in all of it. And we need to recognize the voice of our shepherd. We need to recognize when the Lord is speaking to and through us and not worry about what he is saying to or through someone else. Not wish that we could be like Moses. Look, Moses had a rough go at it. Moses had a rough go at it. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. Ministry can be miserable sometimes. I mean, not ministry itself. It's usually the people that make it miserable, just to be honest. But ministry can be absolutely miserable at times. But I guarantee that my experience in ministry is nothing compared to the garbage that Moses went through. I guarantee it is nothing compared to what Moses went through. I guarantee it's nothing compared to what Yeshua went through. I don't desire to have the ministry somebody else has. I don't desire to be in a place of power and authority that somebody else may be in because I recognize what God has called me for. And I recognize that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, outside of the strength of God providing the ability, what God's called me to do, what God's called you to do is already too much for us to handle, much less what he's called somebody else to do. It's already too much for us. Verse 15 of John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so he, will, he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be, with, be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while. The world will no longer behold me, but, he, uh, but you will behold me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father. You are in me and I am in, 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 I am in him. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love of him and reveal myself to him. His commandments, he's not just speaking of what he says in the Gospels or what he says in the Torah or any, he's speaking about the word of God as a whole. And he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, you obey my word. From Genesis to Revelation, the word of God will be your cornerstone, your leading, your guidance. And you know how often we hear people say, I just wish I could hear the voice of the Lord. I wish the Lord would speak to me. I wish I could get a word from the Lord. You know what the Lord's saying the whole time? I've already given you a lot of it. It's, it's right here. You just open it up every once in a while and read from it. You'd be amazed how often you'd hear from me. You know, a child knows their parent's voice because they hear it regularly. They hear it over and over and over again. I can de detect the difference between whether I'm speaking to Natanel on the phone or Eliana on the phone because I know their voice. I hear it regularly. I interact with it regularly. How are we to recognize the voice of the Lord if we don't interact with it regularly? We can't ask him to speak to us in a still small voice if we're not willing to speak to him through the loud horn. If we're not willing to receive from him through the words he's already spoken. We can't ask him, why are you not speaking into my life if we don't recognize that it's already been spoken? That anything else he wants to speak to us is to enhance this in our lives, but first we have to have it in our lives for it to be enhanced. We must recognize the voice of the shepherd. We must interact with the voice of the shepherd. See, the reason we were kicked out of the garden in the first place and unable to interact with the presence of the Lord as we were intended to was because we allowed sin into our lives. And sin mars us, it damages us, it dirties us, it makes us grimy, it makes us ugly, it makes us unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord. But the Lord still wanted us. 
And he still loves us and he still wants to speak to us and through us and he still wants to place his presence upon us. And I think it's interesting and powerful the words of Zechariah 3 from Ahab Torah Parsha as we look at this vision that Zechariah has, this dream that he has in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the Kohen Gadol, the high priest standing before the angel of Adonai and the Satan, uh, Hasatan, the adversary, standing at his right hand to accuse him. Adonai said to Satan, Adonai rebukes you, the Satan. Indeed, Adonai, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. Is not this man a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was wearing filthy garments and standing before the angel, who answered and spoke to those standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Then to Joshua he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and will dress you in fine clothing. Then I said, place a clean turban on his head. So they placed a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angels of Adonai stood by. Then the angel of Adonai exhorted Joshua saying, thus says Adonai to vote you, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you will judge my house and watch over my courts. And I will give you a place to walk among these standing here among those in heaven. Listen well, Joshua, Kongadol, both you and your compa- companions seated before you because they are men who are assigned behold. I will bring forth my servant, the branch, speaking of Yeshua. For behold, the stone I have laid before Joshua is one stone with seven facets. On it I will engrave an inscription, declares on it as a vote. Then I will remove the iniquity of this land in one day. This is a powerful statement, first and foremost. First, it's a prophecy spoken to Israel about the removal of their iniquity. But for you and I, it's a realization of something that the Lord wants to do. And if we're believers, the Messiah has already done in our lives and he wants to do for each and every person he has ever breathed the breath of life in which is to wash us clean, remove our iniquities. So here's the high priest, the one who serves on behalf of Israel, standing before the Lord, the accuser, the adversary, Hasetan, standing at the Lord's right hand, trying to accuse Joshua, the Lord's anointed, trying to accuse him, just as Mo- uh, Miriam and Aaron did to Moses, trying to accuse Joshua, the high priest, before the Lord. And the Lord says, look, he's covered in dirty garments right now, but I'm going to remove his iniquities. I'm going to place clean clothes upon him. I'm going to make him righteous and restored to serve before me again. And this is what the Lord has done to all those that have called upon the name of Messiah Yeshua. This is what he wants to do for each and every person that has uh, breathed the breath of life within them, the breath of God himself within them is to cleanse us, renew us, restore us, that we can be a vessel for his presence so that he can speak to us. Pay al pay, face to face, mouth to mouth, as he speaks to Moses, so that he, so that he can speak to us not in dreams and visions that we've got to try and interpret and understand, but very clearly understand his words and move forward in them. He wants to speak through us for the betterment of those around us in the kingdom of God. He wants to speak through us for the lost and dirty world that we live in, so that others may be saved and find the truth of his salvation. But if we spend all our time wishing we had a better job, a better anointing, a better calling, wishing we could be Moses, wishing we could be Joshua, wishing we could be Aaron, wishing we could be David, wishing we could be the disciples, wishing we could be somebody else, then we cannot be who God has uniquely created us to be in him. And we're missing out on that intimate face-to-face relationship that he wants to have with us because we're too busy being led astray by voices that are not of our shepherd, being led astray by the voice of a thief, by the accuser trying to hold us down. And the accuser does stand there 
And he lays blame and he tries to remind us of everything we've done wrong and tell us, why would the Lord love you? And the Lord's standing there saying, but I do. Who cares what he says? I love you. I want you. I want to make you mine. I want to use you for the good of my kingdom and my purposes. And as Moses said in Numbers 11, I wish that all would be filled with the Spirit. You know what? It's there. It's available. It's ready. He wants to move upon you and move through you for this world to know the kingdom of God. But we've got to be willing to get out of our own way. We've got to be willing to stop speaking against those that are anointed. There's a lot of people that think they preach the gospel that I may not like, that I may not agree with across the board. But you know what? I don't know what God wants to do through them or for them. And I don't have the right to complain against them as Miriam and Aaron did Moses. I got enough on my plate already just doing what I'm supposed to do, what I've been called to do, what God has placed the Spirit upon me to do. I don't have enough time to focus on that mess too. As a shepherd here at this congregation, I have a responsibility to protect you. I have a responsibility to guard you from false teachings and things going on in the world around us. I have a responsibility to carry you from milk to meat. I have a responsibility to take care of you and to nurture you and to love you. I don't have the time to worry about somebody else's responsibility too. And in the same sense, each of you in the communities that God has placed you in has given you a calling and a responsibility. And it's necessary for you to walk in what God wants you to do. I'm not called to lead the nation of Israel as they cross the Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds on dry ground, to dance around and to sing the song of Mary, Miriam. It's not my calling. I'm not called to go into the Holy of Holies only on Yom Kippur. It's not my calling. I'm not called to sprinkle a bunch of blood all over the place. It's not my calling. But I am called to boldly enter the throne room, as Hebrews says. I am called to share the message that the Lord places on my heart each and every week with you. I am called to lead this congregation in the directions that the Lord has taken us in the same sense you were called to have a distinct and unique purpose, not just in this congregation, but in the body of Messiah as a whole. And he wants to use you as he has created you not as you wish you were created. He doesn't want to use you to be the next guy. He wants to use you to be you for his purpose and his sake. So let us have Moses' heart. Let us be humble like Moses was humble. Let us be willing to walk in the shoes of Moses and be glad to walk in what God has called us to do, not worry about what he's called somebody else to do. Let us recognize that each of us individually being bought by the blood of the Lamb and empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh are the Lord's anointed for a distinct and unique purpose. Let us walk in our anointing and not speak against the next persons. Because in the same way that David refused to speak against Saul's anointing, to operate and to act out against the anointing on Saul, we can't act out against the anointing on the next person. Instead, we're to uplift and to build up the person next to us. Joel talked about 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 earlier. There's one spirit. That spirit may operate differently in each of us, but it's one spirit to make us one body. 
as we said last week, with different purposes and different giftings, but we must operate faithfully as God has created us and called us to do if this body is going to move the way it's designed to. Otherwise, we hobble around and we trip over ourselves. Can't have too many cooks in the kitchen, right? We each have a distinct purpose. Let us be joyful and glad in the calling that God has given us. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for your spirit, O oh Lord. I thank you for your breath upon us. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for your anointing, your calling, your gifting in our lives. And Lord, I thank you that you have in fact fulfilled the wish and the desire of Moses, which is to place your spirit upon mankind. Father, I pray that as uh, we leave this place today, that we will leave restored and renewed in you, that we will leave uh, uh, repentant of anything we have done speaking against your anointed. Father, repentant of anything we have done out of jealousy of somebody else's gift and calling and anointing. Father, that we will leave here prepared to walk as you have called us to walk, prepared to hear your voice and to receive from you, prepared to meet with you intimately as Moses met with you intimately. Father, I pray that you will empower us to walk faithfully with you and for you as you use us for your purpose and the good of your kingdom in this world, in this day. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.